<clears throat> Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to continue our study. We're talking about the believer's authority. And uh, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about proclaiming and demonstrating. I thought it was interesting. I listened to Creflo this morning, and he's, he's talking on believer's authority. And so he's talking along the same lines as some of the things that we're teaching on. And so <clears throat> Jesus told us, and we, we began talking about this last week, that, that Jesus, <clears throat> he didn't tell us to pray for the sick. He told us to heal the sick. Uh, because we've been given authority to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And it's not about praying for them. It's about using the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. Uh, but he told us to heal the sick and to preach the kingdom of God, preach the message of salvation. And so <clears throat> in our Bibles, we're going to begin in, in, in Luke tonight, Luke the 10th chapter. And in Luke, the 10th chapter, and beginning in the 8th verse, we'll read the 8th and the 9th verse, and it says, and again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, whatever city you enter, uh, and they receive you, eat such things as they set before you, and heal the sick there. And once again, we see he doesn't say, pray for the sick while you're there. He says, heal the sick. Heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God is now, has come near to you. And of course, we know that the kingdom of God isn't a territory. It's a person. It's Jesus. And because we're in Jesus and Jesus is in us, we're in the kingdom of God right now. It's not when we get to heaven sometime um, we're, we're part of that. The kingdom is manifest in our life or to be manifest in our life right now. And <clears throat> so what we see is that um, the proclamation and the demonstration are always supposed to go with one another. You know, and I think oftentimes people say, well, we don't really need the demonstration today. I think we need the demonstration more today than we ever have uh, because of the things that we see in the things that are going on around us. But it, it says, you know, but they go, they go hand in hand with one another. You know, in, in, in Mark, the 16th chapter, where Jesus speaks to his disciples just before he, he goes to heaven and he gives them um, the commission. And he says some things a little bit differently than he, he did in Matthew 28 when he gave the same commission. But he he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe shall be condemned. But then he says, and these signs will follow those that believe. And of course, there's a semicolon, and I believe that the semicolon ought to come after in the name, because I believe a more accurate translation of that would be, and these signs will follow those who believe in my name. Because it isn't just about believing, it's believing about the authority that we have in the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. And so he says, and these signs will follow those who believe in, in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues they, if they take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It doesn't say they might might happen. No, it says they will recover when we lay our hands on them. 
But then I, I think what's really interesting is then we drop down to the 20th verse and it says, and they, speaking of the disciples, and they went out and preached everywhere with God working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. And so the, the, the demonstrations are a confirmation that the word that's being preached is truly the word of God and, or is, is anointed by God, is of God. And that's where I, I say, you know, we can see through the scriptures that um, the proclamation and the demonstration, uh, they ought to go hand in hand with one, with, with one another. God's word needs to be confirmed uh, with signs, wonders, and miracles. Now, the message of salvation is confirmed in our life with the greatest miracle we'll ever experience, the born-again experience. And so God's word is always confirmed, if you will, with the manifestation of signs, wonders, and miracles in our life because each of us as born-again believers have experienced that. You know, when we pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues, we see a miracle. It's not something that we do. It's something that the Holy Spirit is doing, is working through us. And so it's his miracle working power that accomplishes those things in our lives. And so what we see is this is how the early church actually operated. They had the miracles and they, were, uh, they went hand in hand with one another. You know, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe that the miracles are just simply a product of the New Covenant, of the New Testament. I believe it's, it's, it's who God is because we serve a miraculous God. I mean, we, we see um, the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. We see, um, you know, when uh, the prophet was uh, revealing what was going on with the king and, and uh, the servant came to the prophet and wanted him to turn himself in, basically. And he says, no, just tell the king to come here and I'll be waiting for him. And he says, no, you probably will just disappear. In other words, he thought he was going to be translated from one, one place to another. And so obviously that was something that was taking place. And we see it in the New Testament. We see it with Philip how when he was on the road and he came upon the eunuch and he began to minister to him and the eunuch says, what hinders me from being water baptized since I believe? And so there was some water, took him down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, Philip was gone. He was translated to another location. And so miracles are part of who our God is. And, and we need to be in a position where we we truly believe that. I don't believe that miracles just happen. I believe there needs to be a, an expectation that God is going to do some, some mighty things in our midst. And we see this, again, we see this in the New Testament. We see it in, in Acts, the fourth chapter, and in the 23rd verse, it says, And being let go, and of course we remember how... <clears throat> Um, Peter was arrested and so forth, Peter and John. And it says, in being let go, they went to their own companions. Another translation says company. I like that. 
Companions are nice, but company to me means something more. You know, we, we need to have our own company. We need to have those that we know, believe like we believe, so that when we need something in our life, um, we know how they're going to be believing. I've shared with you how when we were down in Missouri going to school, you know, there were, there were people that believed all sorts of things down there. There were people that believed that when sickness and disease came upon you, it was because God was trying to teach you something. He was trying to discipline you. You know, people believed all sorts of things. And so, you know, when we needed prayer for something, we didn't just go to anybody. We had a, we had a select few company that we went to because we knew uh, that when we said we needed, uh, we needed healing in our household, they weren't going to be praying, oh God, you know, um, judge them, you know, and whatever. No, they're going to be praying for that healing to manifest in our life. And so we need to have our own company. And I, 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 I'm, I'm always, I'm always a little bit taken back because to me it's, it's amazing how over the last, you know, we've been here, you know, this year will be 37 years that we've been here. You know, and so we've encountered a lot of people and, and uh, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, we love you, Pastor Dave, we love you, Pastor Becky, but, you know, we, we just have always gone to this church, so we're going to this church. And so they go to that church. But, you know, when they need something in their life, they always come to us and say, we, we need you to pray for us. There, there was a dear brother, you know, I, I loved him dearly, but, you know, he was of a uh, part of another denomination in town, and whenever he asked me to pray, I'd never turn him down. When he asked me to come visit him in the hospital, I'd never say, no, I'm, I'm not going to come visit you. I always did. And, <clears throat> but I believe that he was, ever, he was never able to receive the fullness of what was available to him because the company that he was a part of didn't believe like he did. And so he'd go outside of that to get help. And I, I, I believe when I prayed in agreement with him and so forth that things were happening. The problem is it just never stuck because he, was, he wasn't in his company. You know, that's one of the things that I've learned over the years is that, you know, I can't just... I can't override the authority that another pastor has over somebody else in their life. And so if somebody submitted to another pastor, for me, you know, it's, I'm, I'm out of order if I just simply override um, what they believe in that particular church. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, but I, I believe that, that we have authority, but we have authority in our sphere of of authority. In other words, I have authority in my household uh, because I'm the head of that household. And, you know, with my children, even as adults, uh, I still carry a certain degree of authority in their lives because of the fact that I'm their father. You know, as pastor of this church, I carry a level, a degree of authority that I can speak into the lives of, of people that are 
submitted to this church, but, but those that are outside of it, yeah, I can still speak into somebody's life, but it's, it's just not the same thing. And what I want to get back to here, Peter and John, two of the, well, Paul referred to them as pillars in the church, two of the pillars in the church, they recognized that they had a company of believers that they could, they could turn to. And so when they were released from prison, um, they didn't go to the first church, they went to where their company was gathered together. And guess what they were doing? They were praying for them. And so, again, beginning in verse 23, and it says, and being let go, they went to their own company or companions. And so we need to have our own company. We need to have our own companions. And reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice. And, and so when they had said, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Then we drop down to the 27th verse and it says, and, and now Lord, look at their threats because there were threats that were coming against them. Look at their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. But notice it wasn't just about that we can preach the word but that there'll be signs that will follow that will confirm that the word that we're preaching is true. You know, it was uh, T.L. Osborne, uh, he, he, made, he made this statement. He said, Christianity without the supernatural is no different than any other man's philosophy. And so it changes Christianity from anything else, from from all the other religions of the world is the fact that we serve a supernatural God who wants to manifest supernaturally in and through each of our lives. And so <clears throat> I guess tonight as I'm sharing this with you because we're talking about the authority of the believer, the believer's authority, I just think we ought to turn it up a couple of notches, our expectation for the, the miraculous, for the supernatural in our life. And you know, there's no better time to do it than, you know, uh, I guess um, New Year's resolutions are all right. They've never been very successful for me. You know, but rather than having a new New Year's resolution, why don't we have a new New Year's commitment that we're going to believe and expect for greater manifestations of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in the lives of this church, uh, and, and so that it'll, it'll demonstrate what a wonderful God we truly serve because I believe he wants to do that in our midst. The reason that isn't happening, the supernatural miracles, the reason that isn't happening more is because 
we're praying and ask God to do what he commanded us to do. And that's why as we're going through this and we're talking about that Jesus didn't tell us to pray for the sick, he told us to heal the sick. And that says that we've been given the authority, we've been given that anointing to lay hands on the sick and see him recover, not just simply kneel in front of them and pray that God would do something. Because I think oftentimes what we're continually doing, we're asking God to do something that he's already done. You know, people pray, oh, you know, <clears throat> um, now I'll say this, and Rand will probably never sing this again. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, but, uh, you know, one of the songs we used to sing way back, I, we haven't sung it for a long time, I don't think, you know, it was something like, Jesus come down, Creflo was talking about this morning, that's why it made me think about it, because I remember singing that song. Oh, how, how did the... Holy Spirit rain down. Yeah. And what, so what he's talking about is how can he rain down when he's already here? We're asking him to do something that he's already done. And so we're praying and we're asking him to heal the sick, something that he's already done. And he's given us the authority to speak into that situation and command in that situation. Because we've got to understand when we're commanding in a situation, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, we're not commanding God to do something because we don't tell God to do anything. He's God. But what we're doing is we're commanding that which he's already done to come into manifestation. You know, I remember we went through a period of time, you know, in our ignorance you know, where I, I remember people, they would say, God, you've got to do this because God, you've, <clears throat> God doesn't have to do nothing because he's God. But see, it isn't about him getting him to do something because he's already done it through Jesus. Jesus already died. Jesus has already been buried. Jesus has already been resurrected from the dead. Jesus has already poured out the Holy Spirit upon us, seated at the right hand of Father God and high. He's already done it all. And so what's, what's expected of, of us is that we believe that what Jesus did was done. And if it's been done, then we can step into it and have this expectation that we're going to see the manifestation of it in our lives and in the lives of those that we speak over. The Lord told us to go heal the sick. God is the power source, but he's placed the power on the inside of us. He's the power source, but he's placed the, the power on the inside of us. Now, I, I know people, when, when you begin to talk this way, immediately say, well then, if we have that kind of power and authority, why don't we just go and empty out the hospitals? Well, because I can't ever override another individual's will. It's like I told the guys Monday night at the prison, you know, <clears throat> God created each and every one of us with a free will. You know, if you want to go to hell, you have a perfect right to go to hell. <laughs> now I happen to think you're kind of stupid if you do but everybody has that right if they want to and God will not override that right because they can choose to do that and oftentimes we hear of people they talk about well so and so they've got to do such and such because I've prayed for them 
Well, I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but they don't have to if they choose not to. And it doesn't matter how much I pray, it will never override their will. Because God created each and every one of us with the willpower. Now, maybe you don't agree with that. But that's your problem. <laughs> because I do. I believe that. And that's what I mean where it, where it comes into play, where, where we're praying for people. You know, I, I remember hearing a testament. I remember if it was Brother Hagen or who it was. But they were ministering in this, this, this church and there was a whole line of wheelchairs in front of him. And he, he went along and he started laying hands on people, laying hands and people were popping out of the wheelchairs. And he got to the woman on the end and he began to pray for her and she wasn't popping out of the wheelchair. And, and so he continued to speak over her and so forth. And, and, and basically she was almost levitating out of the chair and she grabbed a hold of it and pulled herself back down. And, and whoever the minister was said to the woman, you know, God's healed you. Why aren't you coming out of the chair? And she said, I don't want to. She says, I've had to serve people my whole life. And now I'm in this chair and they've got to serve me. I don't want anything different. And it didn't matter what this minister did. He couldn't override what she wanted in her life. And we say, well, you know what, pastor, anybody would want to be healed. No, not necessarily. There's a lot of individuals, they like the issues that they have in their life. Remember years back, Bruce Binkley had his, his back was just a mess. And uh, Dan and Cindy had gone and uh, ministered to him and he got born again by default, you know, because he, he said he finally prayed the prayer just because he wanted to get him off his back. And, uh, but anyway, he, he, had this, he had this bad back and they had basically told him, you might as well go to the, uh, you, you get, um, what do you call it, disability and get yourself a nice wheelchair because you're going to spend the rest of your life in, your, in a wheelchair. And so they had begun to come to the church and he is in a real dilemma. You know, because he really didn't want to be crippled and be in a wheelchair. But that disability looked really good. And he said, I finally had to come to the place where I was willing to give up the disability so that I could receive the healing in my body. And see, there's a lot of elements that come into play. And so when somebody doesn't receive their healing... Don't just immediately think, well, I guess God didn't want to heal him. No, God paid the price for every man, woman, of child, child, not only to be saved, but to be healed. And so there's a lot of factors that come into play, and, and we don't always know those factors. And oftentimes wish I did. But I've had to come to the conclusion that the secret things belong to God. And so if he hasn't revealed it to me, then I guess it's none of my business. But that's not going to stop me. That's not going to hinder me from continuing to pray for the sick, uh, praying for the lost to be saved, because I know that that's ultimately what the will of God is for every man, woman, and child. He gave us authority to use his name and use his power. If we don't command healing to come, it won't happen.
You know, and so that's where we need to realize we carry that authority. If, if we don't do it, who's gonna? You know, and so we need to use that authority. This next section talks about the fact that God desires all to be saved. And he wants all to receive salvation. And, and so in 2 Peter, the third chapter, and the ninth verse, 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. In other words, he doesn't hold anything back, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us. You know, long-suffering is, is another word for patience. <clears throat> but it's not a patience where you're just simply putting up with. Uh, the patience that we see in the Bible is a patience that has a, a purpose or an expectation to it. And so long-suffering, you know, a lot of people suffer long, but they're not long-sufferers. They just suffer over something a long time. But long-suffering means to be patient until you see the manifestation of it. And so, you know, I believe that one of the reasons why we haven't seen the end is because God is long-suffering. Because he hasn't seen everybody have the opportunity to receive salvation yet. You know, I believe that that's the number one tool that the enemy wants to use to uh, keep the return of Jesus from manifesting, and that's to keep us from preaching the gospel, preaching the kingdom, demonstrating the loving kindness of God so that those that need to hear don't hear. And so, reading it again, it says, Lord, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that all should turn from darkness to light, that all should turn from the kingdom of, of Satan to the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about repentance, turning from the direction that they are going to a new direction, the direction that Jesus has made available to them. But like I said before, it's very clear that God's will doesn't just automatically happen. You know, people will say, well, if it's God's will for everybody to be healed, why isn't everybody healed? Well, it's God's will for everybody to be saved, but not everybody's saved. Why is that? Because they choose not to. Why is it that everybody is not healed? Because for one reason or not, you know, some choose not to. Others, there's other factors involved that I'm not aware of, that I don't know. But it's always on man's part. You know, and this, this is the realization that we, we have to come to because it's a very humbling thing. Because at some point in time, we have to we have to accept responsibility. <clears throat> you know, a lot of people like the grace message. And they like the grace message from the standpoint of que sera, sera, what will be, will be. In other words, if God wants it done, God will do it. And so there's no responsibility then on our part. 
But you see, grace is God's part. Faith is our part. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And so whatever it is, it's, it's a gift to us. But we still have to see the, well, let me put it this way. We still have to appropriate it by faith or acknowledge that God's made it available to us. And the way that it's made available to us is through words. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because through words I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And through that process of receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior, by His grace I was saved and became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that same grace provides for me healing, prosperity, deliverance, peace, joy. But I receive it by faith. I acknowledge it by faith. Notice what it says in Matthew, the seventh chapter, the 13th and the 14th verse. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there be few who find it. Well, the way to Jesus is narrow, not the, you know, it says it's difficult. It's, it's difficult from the standpoint that there's only one way. There's not a multitude of ways that we can enter into the kingdom. There's one way. It's through Jesus Christ. It's recognizing him as our Lord and our Savior and we receive him as such. And the thing about it is, is what this reveals to us is that the, these two passages that we've shared is that each individual has to choose for themselves. You know, uh, you've heard me say this before, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He just has children. And that means my children had to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior for themselves. My grandchildren will have to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior for themselves. Now I believe that for them, it can be a whole lot easier than it was for me because they've heard that message from the very beginning. And so there is a point where they have to, they, they become accountable and they have to accept Christ as their Savior. But I, I believe that 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 process, if you will, can be so smooth that they hardly know that they go through it. It's kind of like when we were at COC, they had, uh, when they had, I think it was a fifth Sunday or whatever, they would, the youth would do the, the service. They'd do the worship and so on and so forth. And they'd have a, one of them share a little message and a couple of them would share a testimony. And this one Sunday, there was this young man um, he was in high school. I don't know what his age was. But he had grown up, his, his parents had been mission, missionaries. I forget where. So he grew up on the missionary, on the mission field, never knew anything else. And he, he got up in front and he started to share his testimony and shared some about growing up on the mission field and so forth. And, he's, and then he got apologetic. 
And he says, I'm really sorry. I don't have really anything much to share with you because I don't ever remember not knowing Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And all of us sat there and thought, oh, you poor thing, you. You poor thing, you didn't have to go through anything and struggle with, but it, but it, it was just part of his entire life. And that's how it can be and should be for our young people as well. God isn't going to force anyone to be saved. He honors our free will. And so we can choose. You can't just make a person get saved on your faith. You know, <clears throat> Acts, the 16th chapter, the 31st verse, says, So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. You know, and so some have taken this passage and they've said, see, if there's one saved in the household, then everybody is saved. And, and really, they're, they're taking what's being said completely out of its, its context because in the context, he says that they must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so it doesn't say that because the head of the household has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. But though it was within that household, if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. But it's each of us believing for ourselves. And so it's the context that as each individual in that household chooses to believe, they shall be safe. He gave us authority and with it comes responsibility. You know, it's, it's interesting about people, and I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen it over the years. A lot of people want a title. They like titles because they want the glory, but they don't want the responsibility. And so a lot of people, they like to have, you know, letters put either in front or in back of their name so that they can, they can have this title because it makes them feel important or they feel like they're important in the eyes of others. But one of the things that I've seen is oftentimes when individuals, will, when what they're seeking is a title, oftentimes they don't want the responsibility that goes along with it. You know, because... <clears throat> uh, if one has a title that really means anything, that means that there's, a, there, there's responsibility that goes along with that. Responsibility on how we present ourselves. But each of us has been given a title. And that title is Christian. And as a Christian, because we've received that title, there's there's a responsibility that goes along with that. <clears throat> we don't, I mean, it is a, a privilege that we have to share the gospel. And as we share the gospel, to see signs and wonders follow. And so, <clears throat> you know, that's a, 
a privilege, an honor that we have to be able to do that. But you know, along with that, there's a responsibility that we do that. There's a responsibility that we carry out the, the call that goes along with the title. You know, because nowhere do we see that he separates being a Christian from the responsibility of sharing our faith with those that we encounter. In fact, Scripture tells us over and over again that we, we are to share it. And uh, maybe not necessarily always with words. You know, the first one I ever heard share this was, was my son Jeff when he was closing a service one Sunday here and he says, now go out and share the gospel everywhere you go. But use words only if you have to. In other words, our life ought to be a living epistle of what Jesus Christ has done and what he's accomplishing in each of our lives. And so <clears throat> the last section here in notes, it says, let's stop begging God to do what he's told us to do. What do you mean, begging God? Well, you, you've heard some of those prayers, just pleading with God to do something, but he's, he's already done it. There, there's really nothing left for him to do. And, you know, and I believe sometimes in our infancy, those, those prayers are going to accomplish something because we're, we're growing in it. But, you know, there, there's a point where we come to maturity and we realize that I should no longer be asking God to do something that he's already done. I need to use the authority that has been invested in me and I need to use it and I need to speak in that situation and see God's will manifested because his will is his word. And so when we see the promise in his word, and that's why we, <laughs> we spend so much time in the word, I think <clears throat> sometimes on Sunday morning, I, you know, Junior usually puts the scriptures in beforehand and I put my little sheet of paper up there and I put it up there and I, as I'm walking away, I look and he's going, you know, because on the bottom I've got over. You know, so all the passages that I've put down, and I don't always use them every Sunday. I try to. But you say, why do you use so much scripture? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, it's, it's the promise of God. It's his will revealed to us. And so why would anybody rather hear my words rather than his words? Cindy, you didn't have to shake your head so, so vehemently there. I've been agreeing with everything. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I know. But, it, but it's the truth. You know, and, and there, there's times I don't share so many, and sometimes I think I, I just need to cut back. I just need to, need to cut back on the number of scriptures that I use. But, but let it be proved by two or three witnesses. And that's not talking about men. That's talking about scriptures and the word of God. And so we need to be confident that what God tells us in his word is true. And when we're confident in it, that's when we're going to begin to 
operate in it. We're going to act upon it. And it isn't based upon feeling. It isn't based upon how much we've seen the manifestations in our lives. It's because His Word is true. And His Word will never change. You know, I believe it was Kenneth Copeland that I heard make the statement one time. He was talking about praying for the sick and not and they're not, they're not being healed, not seeing the manifestation. When he has a prayer line, he says, I know that when I pray for the sick, not everybody that I pray for that day is going to be healed. I don't know why, but the power to heal is there. But he says, you know, I am so convinced, and this is how convinced we need to be. He says, I am so convinced that by the stripes of Jesus, we've been healed, and I am so convinced that as a child of God, I've been given authority to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. That if everybody that I pray for just simply dies without seeing the manifestation of the healing, I'm going to continue to pray for the sick. Because it isn't a short, something coming up short on God's part. It has to be on man's part. Because God will never change. When God says that it's done, it's done. And so in, we'll close with this in Romans, the 10th chapter. And we'll begin in the 14th verse. And now he, we use this for salvation. But you know what? It's true where miracles and every other promise and manifestation of God is concerned. And it says, how shall they call in him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How many of you know the gospel is glad tidings of good things? And how many of you know that the armor that we put on, according to Ephesians, the sixth chapter, isn't that right? Yeah, Ephesians, sixth chapter, one of the key pieces of the armor is having our, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so that armor isn't just for the apostle or the prophet or the evangelist or the pastor or the teacher. It's for the believer. It's for each and every one of us. You know, Mark 16, where we talked about preaching the gospel. Those that believe shall be saved that those that disbelieve, will, don't believe, will be damned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Another translation of that puts it this way. And these signs will follow the believing ones. And so we're believers. And so we're the believing ones. And so we're the ones that are to be ministering and seeing those manifestations. And so it's our feet that he's talking about here. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, 
who bring glad tidings of good things. And then it drops down to the 17th verse. And then it says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know, I believe faith comes in our lives to the greatest degree when we hear ourselves speak the word of God. When we command over the life of somebody or a circumstance in our life. When we speak out what Jesus has done in our life and the victory that we have because of him. It goes back to what I shared on Sunday about celebrating our redemption. And celebrating our redemption isn't just thinking about it, it's, it's speaking it out. It's talking about it, declaring what Jesus has done in our life. And I believe that when we do that, that's where we see the greatest manifestation of faith rising up in our lives. Hearing ourselves say it and believe it. Um, God's power is released through us who've been given the authority to use the name that's above every other name. And as we use that name, every knee, every name has to bow its knee to the name of Jesus. Whether it be sickness, whether it be lack, whether it be bondage, whatever it may be, it's got to bow its knee to the name of Jesus because we've been given authority to speak into that situation. You know, it's interesting, we speak a lot about situations, but we're supposed to speak to the situation. And so let's recognize the authority that we have in the name of Jesus. Amen? So next week, we have our class, and uh, then the following week, we'll have a little bit of break. If you're bringing kids or whatever it may be, you'll be able to sit out front and... Uh, I don't know, I might honor you with my presence and so you can fly a flag for me or something, you know. But uh, anyway, Father, we just thank you tonight for Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We thank you for your word that's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And by your precious Holy Spirit, we seal it right now in Jesus' name. And we thank you. We thank you for entrusting us with this marvelous authority. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. Have a good week.